0: The theme for the evening talk is wise attention. We notice in our everyday experiences of our fields of attention wandering on from one thing to another, and the quality of our attention gets pushed and pulled by the various uh, circumstances uh, of life and in this uh, world of extraordinary diversity which we experience we see that one minute we're interested in one thing and then the next minute we're interested in something else and then the mind dreams up and imagines all sorts of uh, fresh and new possibilities And so our life goes on from one day to the next, one uh, decade to the next with all sorts of proliferations of thoughts and ideas and and imaginations and contact with different things which we give attention to. And in the time of what we're giving attention to, particularly if it's sustained for any period, we imagine that that whatever it is is uh, quite important and we get focused on that for a while and then the interest in that or him or her or whatever begins to uh, uh, fade away and we might go through a a complacent uh, period uh, waiting for the next uh, stimulation to come to for us to drum up enough energy and interest in and once again place our attention on something new. So this becomes a common enough pattern of our life until uh, death comes along and says enough is enough. <laughs> so we wonder in all of this, in this movement of our life, what is or Wise attention, what does it mean to apply and to give wiser attention to the circumstances of existence. And certainly just the stimulation on the sense doors naturally has an impact and calls our attention. If, for those of you who have already uh, stopped listening after three or four minutes were to uh, daydream, as you might, and then I suddenly um, uh, clap my hands or throw the gong down the hall, which is tempting, then the probability is that you would, uh, it would call your attention. Or sometimes when somebody expresses some humour in the evening talk, and it does happen occasionally, and then others start laughing, and then person t- oh i missed the joke <laughs> <laughs> so all of this contact through the eyes and through the ears in its momentary arising produces and generates moments of attention for us but still the question is of what is t- wise attention what does it mean to give wise attention term the Buddha used with much frequency, a Pali word, since there's at least one Pali scholar in the hall I heard today, is yoniso manisikara. Yoniso manisikara. It's this applying and giving wise attention. Not just attention to, but wise attention to. To help facilitate and make that possible in life, it requires and demands uh, of us a certain kind of outlook or attitude which maximizes the receptivity. And so it's a way of nourishing and cultivating inner qualities so that features of the mind work together. Attitude of mind generate wise attention too. And we should never underestimate the Formidable influence that the attitude of mind has in either helping to make things possible and available to us or having the capacity to block it off altogether and not even see how uh, destructive and limiting the attitude of mind can be. To give a, an example uh, of what I mean, is yes. that. Sometimes people enter into an area of uh, interest which initially the person feels will be nourishing, beneficial, uh, insightful or whatever. And then after uh, a short period of time some uh, neediness uh, starts to come and grow in the mind uh, rather like a fungus. And in its growth, it begins to uh, block out uh, receptivity. And to take uh, an exa- example of what I mean here, uh, sometimes people decide to become a, um, a member of staff at a retreat center. This is a, a not unusual uh, f- uh, feature. And the person comes with uh, good feeling, good attitude. And a degree of optimism that in the period of time of uh, being on staff, it will be beneficial and insightful through service, through uh, contact and association with others, exposure to teachings, to meditation, etc. etc. But then things begin to arise inwardly, and it might express as a kind of I need, I want, and Showing itself in wanting more and more, I am not getting my needs met, becomes uh, a mantra in uh, in the mind, and with the production of that, it produces complaining, it produces dissatisfaction, and sometimes a kind of gradual, systematic uh, withdrawal, and the person's major practice in life is being a minimalist doing the minimal amount possible for everybody in the name of service and protesting vigorously if anything more than the minimum is ever asked and thus the withdrawal takes place from meetings, from the meditation hall, from staff activities Etc., cetera, etc., cetera, why I am not getting my needs met. And this mindset, not unusual, becomes a kind of fixation of viewpoint. Then the person will say, and it can be in retreat centers, it can be in ashrams and monasteries, it can be in organizations, uh, etc. I am so much stressed, I'm so much under pressure. Or whatever and then the person then calls it a day and uh, leaves and departs and with the concluding one-liner along the lines of well I stayed there and it didn't do anything for me at all. Why? Why attitude of mind is already fixed. Attitude of mind is one of of inability to see and constantly finding and seeing dissatisfaction and fault outside of oneself. Blaming, 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 fault-finding, fault-finding, fault-finding there. And rather tragically, no wise attention whatsoever. So, in our attention to ourselves, that can happen, of course, as I say, uh, being a member of staff, it can happen in being in a relationship, it can happen in close uh, contact uh, with uh, others, with important people in one's life, uh, etc., etc. And the inner movement is of neediness. What I need and I am not getting Well, someone ought to tell and say that this world is not meant and not intended to fulfil neediness. It cannot do it. There has been no success record of this in history, so why should any of you be the exception? (laughs) And what happens, of course, with the I want and the, need, and the neediness and unwise attitude to all of this, people end up finding, if I may say, some poor sod to keep le- unloading oneself upon about all of one's needs in life, I think we call them therapists. <laughs> uh, and still it requires, no matter how skillful the listener might be, or the teacher, might dharma teacher, because we end up in the same boat, uh, might be still, it keeps coming back to when is one going to address this I need? When is one going to attend to this specific movement of mind which has an I in the front of it, a need in the middle of it and something hanging on the end of it which <laughs> will never come because even when it gets satisfied after 45 minutes or whatever it might be or long struggle of complaints etc. it will cease to be very temporarily and it has to take a rebirth in consciousness it has to re-arise again because the object of what it wants, more time, more attention, more items, more money, more, more of this, cannot end, dissolve the pattern of I need. It's wise attention and wisdom which resolves these things. Somehow or other, as human beings, that simple and unmistakable message, I would say, has to sink in and and otherwise we will consume all the emotional, heart, kind resources of other human beings and all the resources of the capital resource of the earth simply because we are refusing to address a single common problem of I need. And it's burning other people out, it's burning out our... Uh, resources on the uh, earth, and there's no end to it. And every one of those sounds nice and reasonable and pathetic. So is attention is the willingness to place attention outwardly and inwardly, and in this case in the inner, to the inner movement and expression. One of the things with all of that, if we take it for a moment, if I may say, to another kind of uh, area and uh, uh, level, and is the uh, ways and means that we are very easily impressed in life with what is uh, regarded as uh, success. And we observe success and we uh, imagine that uh, certain uh, people um, are uh, very, very successful, and quite often success has all sorts of um, privileged uh, associations which go along with it. And while I was in the staff uh, uh, dining room, I saw a cover of one of your appalling magazines which uh, had on it, like, it's called The New Rich, or something uh, something. Uh, Uh, like that and I got reminded um, through rather loose connections admittedly of um, one of the uh, new rich and that is this um, young American golfer named uh, Tiger Woods who seems to have got um, an enormous amount of uh, publicity for kicking a ball down a hole or something (laughs) And um, the only very loose connection which I can make with him is that apparently his mother is a Thai uh, Buddhist. It's a very tenuous connection, admittedly. (laughs) And I um, read in one of the uh, English newspapers that he had um, signed a contract with... uh, that uh, uh, appalling uh, track shoe company uh, Nike for a huge sum of money I, I think it was double figures like 40 million dollars or something like that and the cost of this uh, signing of this contract is that pretty well every time one sees him on the, the TV there is this tick, this whoosh tick mark on his hat of uh, to show that um, he's um, sold his soul to Nike <laughs> and the thought occurred to me when uh, uh, on, when he was on the TV programme uh, some time ago that I would be very willing even with my miserable dana, to buy Tiger Woods a ticket to Indonesia and for him to go and visit the Nike factories in Java with 24,000 desperately poorly paid workers who receive out of a $100 pair of shoes about $1 out of it. And then for him to come back and speak about his $40 million contract and how he feels about getting all that money at the expense of the desperately poor Javanese workers who work morning, noon and night in the factories but uh, somehow I think it ain't going to happen and so sometimes out of need need for success, need for name and fame need for money, need for this, that and the other one signs away one's life because he's never going to make any criticism of the corporate world he's been bought poor devil lost freedom of speech as much and as ugly as anything that we might see in those old East European countries. Lost freedom of speech to criticise. Why? Unwise attention. Unwise neediness. And then putting his thumbprint on a piece of paper for it. So looking inwardly at things, at wise attention, looking outwardly at wise attention... It's, a, it's see, seeing, too, the movement of wanting, the way it can entrap human beings and deprive us of a great thing of life called liberation and freedom. One of the imaginations that we have with this movement, whether it's on the larger level of a uh, young man there, I'm sure he's a decent enough guy, and uh, other, other circumstances that we can bring the same mindset into the meditation hall, into an environment and facility uh, like like this. And we keep imagining it, such a deception that we have, that if things were better around me, I would be better. What what is the mindset which is so bizarre that it actually believes it? That actually believes, if that person who was um, sitting near me wasn't coughing or um, arriving ten minutes late or whatever, they weren't doing that I'd probably be so utterly enlightened it would put the Buddha to shame. <laughs> that we have this that, there. Or if, if something was going on, in the, if I was first in the food queue and not having to come late and feel so agitated, or whatever reason, then I'd get all of that over with then I'd get really back to the real meditation or whatever the mind producing in its agitation and in its irritation in its neediness once again the reinforcement of the view again and again if I could get what I need then I would be okay what's going to explode this mythology when are we going to get to the point when we say to ourselves with all honesty enough is enough of this constantly demanding on life which is never fulfilling and therefore we use hopefully the, the chances and opportunities that we have here to attend to that movement and if we attend to that it's called wise attention because that makes the difference between living at peace with life and uh, living on the end of our whims and of always trying to get what we want it's merciless When we can't cope with it, in in the uh, Eightfold Path, incidentally the Buddha speaks of the uh, Noble uh, Eightfold Path and it's a simple but rather effective and useful formula for men and women to remember to attend to each and every significant area of life. Right understanding, right attitude, right uh, forget them now right speech right effort right livelihood right action right effort right awareness right samadhi meaning right depth of meditation that each and every one of those does attempt to uh, address and in- encourage us to say each one of those needs attending to not enough just to, to sit on sit cross legged or in a chair and watch one's breath come and go it's just one feature of the Dharma life. And a useful and an important one, but it's one feature of a total uh, attendance, in fact, to living. So the second one of those eight is this attitude, right Right attitude. And the, uh, the Buddha, rather uh, uh, wisely, as one might expect of him, um, <laughs> says there are three, three features of that uh, wisdom and the first one is this uh, the neediness that comes and the right attitude is therefore is free from this neediness might be neediness, neediness for pleasurable sensations, that neediness to have one thing things one's own, own way so that one feels pleasant about things or comfortable with things and all the, the pressures that go on the right attitude, skillful attitude is freedom from that. But then he says, he goes from that and then he says that the next unwise attitude in life is harm, bringing harm and the third is cruelty. And one might wonder and reflect, why, why would he, why, why speak firstly of the first one, the neediness for satisfaction, for pleasure, for sensuality, to have things one's own way, then it switches to harm and then it switches to cruelty. Why not pick out other areas? But sometimes if we reflect a little bit in our own own life, we see there's a very direct causal relationship of one, two and three. And if we notice when we look at our own mind and we're something which we are wanting and we're not getting from whoever or whatever and it starts to bring a pressure that pressure begins to generate inside of us resentment we begin to have harmful thoughts to that person they're not providing me with what I want they're not giving me what I want and some harmful negative thoughts begin to emerge so the grasping onto the first one becomes and sows the seed for the second one and having identified with the first, we sow the seeds for the second, that harming. And when we identify with the second, the harming, and that gets more intense, we actually begin to imagine and even to act on ways of inflicting suffering and cruelty upon uh, others. The thoughts of revenge begin to get underway. Why? Because in the movement that's gone on, there has been identification and clinging with the first holding on to that, producing thoughts and language of harming, the intensification of that brings and generates acts of cruelty acts of revenge, acts of inflicting direct pain upon another or others and thus if we're not attending in life we'll not see, my goodness, I wanted something, I couldn't get it, and now look what I'm doing to this person. Now look at the ways that I I'm, I'm, I'm want this person to suffer. I want this person to feel really bad. I want this person to to get deeply unhappy. And now look what I'm doing. Now I'm even taking it a step, step further through whatever vehicle I can to re- re- really act cruelly, in the life of this other uh, human being or sometimes we do it to ourselves of course so our wise attention our giving uh, awareness and uh, exploration to these uh, areas is not to underestimate how from small things unattended to begin to grow into huge problems And in that huge problem putting such uh, unfair and unwise pressure upon both ourselves and others. And thus we generate suffering, suffering, suffering and suffering again until we say enough is enough. That one will make, as it were, a vow with oneself. When I arises and need arises, I will attend to it if one just did that in one's life it would be a life well worth living well worth spent it would bring about such appreciation from others as well as the possible for possibility for some genuine liberating insights from within ourselves In the course of the uh, movement of things within our own life and in the uh, uh, expressions uh, uh, of them, that that movement from the inner to the outer and our uh, experiences, for particularly for I'm thinking at the moment for all of you who have just come and uh, uh, arrived in place like this for the first time, that just in the very silence of the day here, there's not only been the regularity and frequency of contact upon your uh, sense doors, there's the getting used to and familiar familiarity with other people. About half of you have been in a small uh, group and had uh, contact uh, with uh, us and there is maybe well some curiosity about some of the others who are in the hall here who are they, where do they come from or whatever. In all of that as well there can be all manner of views and opinions in terms of who is uh, likeable and uh, who isn't who is to be approved of and who isn't and though we might know little or next to nothing about countless others who are in the hall here, all manner of pictures begin to get produced in the mind based on the most flimsy of circumstances, whether any quality of contact or connection with or association, and just on a chance occurrence, one's made one's mind up it's made up once having it made up which was immediately takes away its enlightenment its liberation and all the reasons for being here once it's made up which can happen in a moment in the perception of other or others it will draw in the evidence to confirm what it's made up. And it will believe that what it sees and what it hears is a further confirmation of what one had thought in the first place. And so the compounding and the building is gradually taken pleasurably or painfully through the hours and through the days and there is a consolidation that might be of one poor devil who has no clue (laughs) that one is, has assumed that this person to be the devil incarnate (laughs) or another person who suddenly becomes whatever God's gift to humanity or whatever and the building and the compounding begins to, as I say, consolidate itself it takes little detail hither and thither to make all that up and the mind's world is made up and in the movement that goes along with it the fixations that go along with it the stickiness which goes along with it and barely any questioning there's a sense, there's a view that one is kind of it's a reality one is really seeing things clearly one confirms it by saying well I feel that, so it must be true and with all of that, the naivety of thinking and believing we're living in the real world what the mind makes up comes to get infected with so much it gives the view and the belief I am living in the real world That's how it is. Either we do it in the generalities or we do it on the specifics. Supposing it isn't the real world. Supposing all the compounding that's going on inside the mind is simply compounding and that the real world is utterly uncompounded. It will blow our little mists apart once and for all. Buddha was asked, what is the release from the compounded, the formed, the compacted, the conditioned? He said the release from it is the unformed, uncompacted unconditioned so in the movement of the inner in the ways that it shows itself if we are paying genuine wise attention to the forming the particularising, the compounding which is, is going on Maybe, and possibly, through that seeing, through the wise attention to all of that there is, a, there is a genuine clarity and wish not to feed it. One knows there is something suspect about it. One knows that the eye is involved. One knows that there is a building going on, a forming going on, Uh, picturing going on and one knows this is just going on but maybe it's not the true reality of things which can't be pictured what that means in terms here in practical terms here is that it's not only being with the breath which matters but being as clear and quite clear with what goes on with us when we're not with the breath what actually occurs and in a way it can be bordering on the miraculous to be in touch with two consecutive breaths so if one has had such a miracle in one's meditation career it will indicate that since nobody's in-breath can last for 22 and a half minutes and out-breath lasts for another 22 and a half minutes, it does show that there's an awful amount of time in which the breath is not primary in the meditation. And therefore, what's going on when there is the departure from the breath? in that departure from the breath it can reveal and show to us a lot of the forming, compounding and making up that's going on for us And therefore, while having a genuine interest in breathing hopefully as much as if you had your head in a bucket of water and after a minute or so it's very unlikely the mind would be wandering (laughs) One would have a tremendous interest in taking a breath The the centre does provide a hundred buckets by the way (laughs) So in the departure from the breath there's the world of self-existence arising there's a, the world of uh, various uh, <coughs> states of mind which are coming and passing. Some is just a little movement, hither and thither, and of no consequence. A few thoughts arise, a couple of ideas arise, a bit of tiredness, some spacing out or whatever, all part of the uh, natural function of mental life, not to be regarded to uh, too much concern. But there are moments, there are times in that departure from the breath when we know we have fixed on something. We know we fixed on something. We know we are preoccupied with something, we're obsessed with something, we're caught up with something and we hopefully will know sooner rather than later that that knee means wise attention, that we don't feed it. We simply learn not to feed and we starve the neediness to death and therefore simultaneously starve the I to death. Because it would be terrible tragedy to pass through one's existence as a a prisoner to I a prisoner to me a prisoner to my a prisoner to I need, I want, I must have that is the worst of all prisons in life and so we have chance and opportunity to find a great freedom and a great uh, liberation and we might say that the key to all of that is wise attention and clearly to notice the neediness with the eye in the centre of that neediness when it's arising and not feed it starve it out of that can come natural wisdom in life great sense of freedom uh, in life and love and joy which is our birthright May all beings live with wise attention. May all beings acknowledge skillful attitude of mind. May all beings live a free and joyful life. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together.